They say to, to learn from your mistakes is great wisdom. But greater wisdom still is to learn from others' mistakes. To learn from others' mistakes so that we don't have to make those same mistakes again and again. To learn from others' mistakes. To hear the voice of those who have gone before. As we open up today to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to see Paul pointing the Corinthian church back to the history of, of Israel. Calling them to, to learn from others' mistakes. As they're in the midst of, of dealing with what is it to walk in this life with Jesus? What is it to, to live and serve and to act like those called by His name? Specifically, he's been looking at this question over the last few weeks of, of food offered to idols. And, and what liberty is there for a Christian what responsibility is there because of that liberty? What, what does our focus on the gospel do in, in clearing all these things up? And, and now as, as Paul continues to address this idea and, and look at what it is to walk with Jesus, he turns the Corinthian church eyes back. Turns them back to history. And says, remember where we've come from. So we're going to look today at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to deal with the first uh, 13 verses of, of chapter 10. As we see Paul giving a bit of a history lesson, encouraging the, the church to remember, remember their history. And what does that do for us right now? So we start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul says... <laughs> And I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We see Paul turning, turning the people's attention back to the history of Israel. As he, as he does this, we see him offering a, a stern warning. But that warning is also mixed with hope and strength. So let's look at what Paul says here as, he, as he's talking to this church in Corinth. As he lays out this, this idea in verse 1, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers all 
were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All baptized in Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. We see him uh, pointing them back to the life of Israel and reminding them that there was a great history there. Now, probably not all of, of the Corinthian church were, were Jews to begin with. Possibly considering well, what Corinth was as this kind of pathway, this, this crossing of, of a lot of different roads and, and, and trade routes and, and business and everything. The, the Jewish part of that church was probably even a minority. And yet, Paul turns their eyes back. says, remember this. Remember our fathers. This would have been a very Jewish way to remember that. As they, as they celebrated their feast, as they celebrated Passover, as they celebrated all these different things, the, the Jews would, would have looked to our fathers before us and what they did and what God did in their life. And so Paul is doing the same thing to this whole church. He's saying, look back at this, this shared history that we have. Even if you're not part of that history, physically, even if your heritage is not part of that history, even if your ethnicity is not part of that history, he says, when you have begun to follow Christ, that God is part of your history. That God who did wonders for them, He's the one calling you. He's the one in whom you walk now. And so Paul turns him back to remind him of the history. So let's us just think back to that history a little bit, thinking back to the book of Exodus. Where where a long time had passed from from Joseph uh, being top-notch in Pharaoh's government, We've got the passage of 400 years and and Pharaohs have come and gone and it said that a new Pharaoh was there who didn't know anything about Joseph, didn't care anything about Joseph, but the Hebrew people are there in Egypt and they're now subjugated to slavery and they're now crying out under these harsh conditions. They're crying out to God to remember them. They, They are a people who feel forgotten. They are a people who are are oppressed. And they're crying out to God to remember them. And you probably remember the story that that God called one who was from among them, Moses. One who was from among them, but had grown up in the the palace of Pharaoh. One who had, had taken the law into his own hands, had killed an Egyptian and was on the run. And God took this one who is who is on the run from Pharaoh and sends him back to Pharaoh with a command, let my people go. Now Moses doesn't want any part of this, right? I mean, he's a wanted man. He's got his poster up on all the post offices in Egypt. But God calls him to go back anyway. To go back and stand before the most powerful man in the world and say, there is one greater than you. And he wants you to let his people go. He wants you to let your your entire operation of industry go. And then there's those famous plagues as we think of Charlton Heston in the movie The Ten Commandments, right? And the plagues that come down on Egypt. And and Pharaoh has to realize that there is, in fact, one who is greater than him, who controls all things, 
and he lets people go. And, and Passover is instituted to remember that. To remember God calling his people out, delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. And so now Paul is pointing back to that incredible deliverance. And says, remember as they came out, how God went before them in a cloud of, of a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. He cared for them, he provided for them, he guided them through the wilderness. He he caused the waters of the sea to part so that they could cross on dry land, come crashing down on Pharaoh and his armies behind them delivering them, protecting them. He said, remember that all of our fathers were under the cloud. They were all being guided by God. They all passed through the sea. God had cared for them. He continued to provide for them in the wilderness, providing food, providing drink. And yet, he says in verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. He calls them to remember. Calls them to remember where they've come from. The wonder of what God has done in history. And then says, and still, most of them weren't following God. If we go to, if we think on ahead, going to Numbers chapter 13, we see this, this mass of, of Israelites coming through the wilderness, coming right up to the promised land and sending out spies to go and hunt through the promised land. And they come back with all this fruit, with, with all these reports. This is a great place. It's a beautiful place. And yet, there are giants there. This is, in fact, the place that God has called us to. This is everything we could have dreamed it would be, except... It's guarded. And we don't think we can do it. This from a people who have been traveling through the wilderness, led by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, had experienced God's provision, had experienced God's protection, and they come up to this challenge and they say, but God's not big enough to do that. All but two of them, right? Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, came and said, well, yeah. Yeah, they, there's this, all this great fruit. There's these really huge guys there. They're, they're really strong. They've got fortified cities. They've got tanks and everything else. But you know what? God told us to do it, so let's go. But the people said, yeah, maybe not. And so like a mean old football coach, God says, take another lap. Back through the wilderness. Forty years they march back through the wilderness, and that whole generation dies off, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. That whole generation that got right to the edge of the promised land had experienced God's faithfulness. And yet, when they were confronted with, with this trouble, said, mm, uh, God's not that big. And they all die off, except for those two. Paul calls the church to look at the history, to remember what God has done, remember the people's response to it, 
And then he says in verse 6, these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. We look back to the history and we see an example. We see God's faithfulness. We see God's protection. And we remember this truth that what God has done in the past is a promise and a model for what God will continue to do in the future. But he's too creative to do the same thing the same way twice. And so as they might come and they say, well, we saw God deliver in this way, but now we're in a different situation. I don't know. We have a promise. We have a model for what God has done. Can we trust him? Then in verses 7 down through 10, we see Paul walking them through some more specific history of that time wandering around the wilderness. As he gives them specific examples and and calls them to, to question what they're doing. The way they're thinking, the way they're believing, the way that thinking and believing is affecting their actions. Verse 7, Paul says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And we see in there a reference back to Exodus chapter 32. This, This might be better known as the golden calf incident. Right? They're, they're wandering through the desert. They've stopped at Mount Sinai. Moses has gone up the mountain, and he is meeting with God face to face. There is this cloud that's come down over the mountain. There's lightning everywhere. And God has, has warned them, don't come to the mountain. Don't step foot on the mountain. You guys wait down here. Moses and I are going to have some words up here. And Moses is up there, and he receives the Ten Commandments from God. And he's with God. And while he's up there and the thunder is rumbling and the lightning is flashing and everybody's wondering, they say, "Um, Moses has been gone for a minute now. Uh, Maybe even a bit too long. He he might be dead. So so what are we going to do out here in the desert? And they go to Aaron and they say, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's build a calf. Let's build an idol. And, and then we can, we can melt down this gold. And they, they brought together all these offerings and this treasure. And they melted it down. And they, they fashioned a golden calf. And then they said, Behold, Israel, the God who led you out of Egypt. Man. Yet sometimes we have short memories too, don't we? And sometimes our situations make that idea of a a short memory even worse. Like we see God work, and then trial comes, and then uncertainty comes, and then we start thinking, well, you know, I, I know God said He'd provide. But it'd be a lot nicer if, if we could gather a lot of money and, and have that security, and then we can trust God to provide. Or if we say, it'd be a lot better if we get the right relationships going on and we, we get some power around us, and then we can trust God to provide. See, idolatry doesn't always look like a golden calf. 
And he warns them, do not be idolaters. Do not put in the place of God anything else for your desires, for your security, for your hope. Because these people made a golden calf and then they sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play and they worshipped this calf and said, here is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And Paul says, remember that. And be warned and don't fall into that trap. Verse 8, he says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. And we look to, to the book of Numbers, toward the end of the book of Numbers in chapter 25. Where God's people are, are in the land of the Midianites and Moab. And they're, they're intermingling with, with the pagans of that race. And, and they're coming and they're having relations and they're taking wives and, and giving their daughters and wives as wives to the Moabites and the Midianites. And they're engaging in these sexual relationships that, that are bowing down and worshiping Baal. And they're tempted maybe not so much by, by this idea of power, but of desire. And just satisfying the fleshly desires. And God sent a plague and wiped out so many in their number. And Paul says, remember what, what our people did. And don't fall for those momentary pleasures that can never fulfill. And again, we don't see a lot of Moabites and Midianites around today. But pornography on the internet is rampant. And and discontent within marriages is, is growing because of that. And then there, be, there are these fantasies of, well, if I had married this man, how would things be different? If I had uh, chased after this woman, how would things be different? And, and start questioning and, and wondering about all these different things. And, and the mind goes off on different places. And Paul says, remember what our people went through. And don't fall for those momentary pleasures that can never fulfill. And God has called us to deeper. Verse 9, he says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And we look at Numbers chapter 21 there where the people were coming and grumbling against Moses and his leadership. We see the people coming and grumbling and saying, and saying why, why do we have to follow you? Why can't we make up our own minds? Why, why can't we do this thing? And he's talking about putting God to the test there in, in Numbers. And Paul does a, a fun little thing and, and it says putting Christ to the test. And just that quick little thing reminding them, Christ, Jesus, the one who walked around, the one that we saw, he's God. But it reminds them of, of how they, they rallied and, and tried to push out what God was doing and, and the one that God had called to lead and how God sent the serpents and how then he delivered them from the serpents. 
And he continues on, grumbling as some of them did and, and were destroyed by the destroyer. And we see again and again and again as we read about Israel wandering through the desert, this idea of grumbling, of complaining, of, of murmuring. This, this unsatisfied thing, this, this thing that says God has brought us out here to die. God has brought us out here and we're just wandering around. What God doesn't really want the best for us, does he? I would do a better job of guiding things than he's doing. And Paul calls him to remember. And to be very careful about what they're thinking, what they're believing, and how that translates to what they say, what they do. And then as he started in, in, in verse 6, saying that these things are examples. In verse 11, he puts the other bookend on that history lesson. These things happened as an example. They're written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. We see Paul saying, we have seen Jesus. We have seen the wonder that Passover pointed to where we look back and we saw God delivering His people and now we have seen Jesus crucified and resurrected and conquering death and conquering sin and we have seen that deliverance. How much more should we stand firm and not fall for all those things that our ancestors did? Therefore, he says in verse 12, as I've told you before, when you're reading along and you come up against a therefore, you've got to ask yourself, what's it there for? Right? Therefore means because. And it ties everything he's about to say to what he's just said, to the history lesson that he walked them through. Because of all that, because of what we've seen as we looked at the history, he says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Anyone, he says, who has come to the point that, that they're so sure that nothing can ever happen, that they are so strong that nothing's ever going to happen, that they are so firm that nothing can rock them. If, if you're in that place, he says, be careful. Because if you've come to that place, you've stepped outside of a place of dependence. You've stepped outside of a place of saying, I need Jesus. If you're in a place that you say nothing can touch me, I got this. He says, be very careful lest you actually fall. No temptation has overtaken you, he says, except that which is common to man. There's no test that's going to come your way. There's no temptation that's going to come that hasn't been seen before. doesn't mean there's no temptation that's going to come, period. We know that there are temptations that are going to come. We know there are many, many temptations that are going to come. They say opportunity may knock only once, but temptation tends to just kind of lean on the doorbell, right? The temptations are going to come, he says. The testing is going to come. But nothing's coming your way that hasn't been seen before. And God is faithful. Those next words right there are so 
so important. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Which kind of brings the question up then, right? If, if, not, if no temptation is going to come that we're not able to handle, that he'll provide a way out, then why do we still sin? Why do we still fall for these temptations? Because we forget whose we are. We, we let our minds slip back into that grumbling of, I can handle this. I can guide myself better than what God's doing. I can provide for myself better than the way God's providing. Because let's be real. In our own strength, in our own willpower, in our own stubbornness, there are many, many, many temptations that will come that are beyond what we can handle. But nothing that will come that is beyond what God That's where Paul calls them again to look at their history. To look at the temptations that he's already laid out before them. Temptations of idolatry. Temptations of sexual immorality. Temptations of grumbling and trying to take control of things. And he also points to the fact that in every one of those, as God has brought his people out of slavery, as, as there are plagues that are coming in, as a result of their sin, as there are snakes that are coming as a result of their sin, as there are all these things that are happening as a result of Israel's sin, God is still faithful and he stops the plague and he ends that curse of the snakes. And he continues to guide his people. That's one of those verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's one of those memory verses, right, that we, we memorize. But it's important for us, too, to step back and see where it takes place. As God calls Israel to remember their history, as God calls the church in Corinth to remember the history, as God calls the church in Miller to remember the history of what God has done. And in that strength, no temptation will seize you that God can't handle. So for us today, a couple things we need to take from this. One is to remember your history. Remember what God has done, what God has revealed in the pages of his scripture, what God has revealed in your life, what God has revealed in the lives of those around you. Tell your story. Tell those around you what God has done for you. Tell those around you the, the struggles that, where you're trying to see God at work. And see what God is doing in it. Tell your story. Remember your history. See what God is doing. And as we remember our history, let's learn from the mistakes of others. Let's keep pointing ourselves back to what God is doing knowing that you and I, we're not alone in this. And nothing is coming your way that God can't handle. Jesus, I thank you.
As, uh, as Israel traveled through the wilderness, God, we see you providing. Providing in miraculous ways. Providing manna from the sky. Water from rocks. And Jesus, we thank you that, that you continue to provide. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to see you at work. To see you at work in, in history as it's revealed in Scripture. To see you at work in history as it's revealed in even our stories. And to glorify you for that. To share that. To use everything that you're bringing us through to point people to you. And God, help us to remember, and as we remember, to be humbled. To be continually submitting ourselves to you, submitting our, our thoughts, our desires, our insecurities, our questions, submitting them to you. Trusting, Lord, that you are able to handle that and anything else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.